0: welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series 13 and episode 8. That's the last episode of series 13 which looks at the subject of the death of Jesus. And in our final episode we're going to look at the burial of Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus in the tomb, the facts about his burial, uh, the significance of it, the people involved and the connection between the death, the burial of Jesus, and his resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. We'll be looking at various different gospel accounts, uh, mostly in Matthew's account, but all the gospel accounts provide significant detail that help us to understand the events that happened um, uh, immediately after Jesus died on the cross. We're coming to the end of a very dramatic series of events that we've been following in considerable detail in now three series. We started in series 11 with the events in the first few days of the last week of Jesus' life, the Sunday, the Monday and the Tuesday going into uh, the Wednesday of that week and uh, we've uh, discussed these in some detail in earlier episodes. Jesus' triumphal entry, his confrontation with the religious establishment in the temple on Monday and Tuesday, and then that uh, very significant moment on Wednesday when he was eating a meal with his disciples uh, in Bethany, the village just outside the city, when Judas Iscariot fatefully decided that he was going to betray Jesus, went and spoke to the religious leaders. And this uh, led to Jesus' arrest on the Thursday evening, very late in the night. We followed the drama of that Thursday fairly closely. Uh, the day before Jesus' death, events moved tremendously quickly in the evening. Jesus celebrated his Passover meal the Last Supper with his 12 disciples. Much was discussed then. Many things happened. Judas Iscariot departed from the meal halfway through and went to give the religious leaders the exact location that he thought Jesus would be later on that evening in the depth of the night so that they could arrest him uh, privately without attracting the attention of the crowds because their determination, the Sanhedrin and the priesthood and the Pharisees, was to get Jesus arrested, tried and executed as quickly as possible. And in previous series, series 11 and 12, we've looked at the details of that uh, mounting conflict. But as Judas was working with the authorities, Jesus left the Last Supper, went to the Garden of Gethsemane just outside the city, was praying there while the disciples were sleeping, and then suddenly Judas arrived with an armed group of temple guards uh, with torches and lanterns, and uh, they arrested Jesus. We saw then how Jesus uh, was tried by the Sanhedrin Council in the home of Caiaphas the high priest late on the night of Thursday evening, how he was humiliated, how he was uh, uh, accused of being a blasphemer, how it was decided by the Sanhedrin Council to hand him over to the Romans because they alone had the power. Of execution. Then we saw on the very early moments of Friday morning how Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, struggled to deal with this case. He did not want to execute Jesus. He didn't want to get involved in what he considered to be a religious dispute. But he was persuaded by pressure from the Sanhedrin and all the other religious leaders and the crowd that had assembled to support them outside Pilate's palace. He decided that he would give in, and Jesus was executed. So in the last two episodes, we've discussed the death of Jesus. We've looked at the different gospel accounts. We've seen that the death of Jesus took place over a six-hour period from nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, which we now call Good Friday. We've seen that in the first half Of those three hours, Jesus spoke uh, on a number of occasions and he asked his heavenly father, first of all, to forgive those who had uh, executed him and to work in their lives. And he spoke to one of the criminals on the cross who expressed repentance and faith and told him that he would uh, share paradise with him that very day. He would be saved even though he was dying on the cross. Then he saw his mother and he saw John, the disciple there, and he asked John to look after Mary and Mary to accept the care of John in future days when he wouldn't be there. In the second half of Jesus' six hours on the cross, we noticed there was a strange supernatural darkness came over the land. And it appears that at this time Jesus was suffering as the judgment Uh, that God would need to make on sin the sins of all of humanity were being poured out on Jesus and he suffered uh, an agonizing death and felt the great sense of the wrath of God upon him as he uh, died uh, at 3 p.m with a great cry it is finished the work is complete the work of atonement Is complete. And that brings us to a very significant moment. What will happen to the body of Jesus? No plan had been made. All these events happened so suddenly that no one was ready. All his followers were in a state of shock and disbelief. Some of them weren't even present at the crucifixion. It was up to the Romans to decide when bodies would be taken down off the cross and who would be allowed to bury them. Very often the bodies were just either burnt or put in a common burial site, just thrown in unceremoniously. What was going to happen to the body of Jesus? Where was he going to be buried? This is the question that we're going to look at in our Uh, episode today in the first half of our discussion let's turn first of all to Matthew 27 verses 55 and 56 we read these in the last episode but this is the starting point for the story that we need to tell today many women were there watching from a distance they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So there's a group of women who've come from Galilee, who've been travelling with Jesus for some weeks or possibly even months since he left Galilee, who've been caring for his needs, and no doubt the needs of the other disciples as they've been travelling around, And they're watching from a distance. Who's in this group? Well, Matthew gives his description and the other writers give a few further details. First of all, Mary Magdalene. She is mentioned in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. Uh, which describes a situation of Jesus traveling around in Galilee with the twelve. And it says there, And also some women who'd been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, and then other women are named. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Mary Magdalene is a woman who'd experienced incredible freedom from dark spiritual oppression in her life. That's really all we know about her. Popular tradition that she was a prostitute has no basis uh, in the Bible whatsoever. Popular tradition that she had some intimate relationship with Jesus has no basis in the Bible whatsoever. The biblical facts are different. The biblical facts are that she experienced some incredible release from oppression in her life. She became a devoted disciple and she had the financial means to travel and support Jesus, and she comes to the site of the crucifixion. Along with the mother of Zebedee's sons, those are James and John, Jesus' disciples. Their father was called Zebedee, Matthew 4.21 makes that clear. So this is the mother of two of Jesus' closest disciples. And John 19.26 says that Mary... The mother of Jesus was there as well, as we noted in the last episode, when Jesus spoke to her from the cross and spoke to John from the cross. And there were a few others. Some we don't know their names. Many women were there, watching from a distance. Why were they doing this? Their devotion to Jesus... Was the number one reason. They travelled the journey with him and they wanted to be with him in this terrible moment of suffering. Perhaps they were supporting Mary, the mother of Jesus, in her intense distress as she sees her firstborn son executed in front of her very eyes in a brutal fashion. Perhaps they were concerned already about the burial and wanted to know where the burial site was so they could help with the burial. They were there also because they were no direct threat to the authorities. Unlike the male disciples, we hear nothing of them at the foot of the cross apart from John. He's the only one we know who uh, was there at the foot of the cross on that occasion. Peter is in a state of terrible shock, having denied Jesus a few hours earlier. The other disciples have been scattered to their Homes and residences, the places that they were staying. And they feared arrest and execution too. If the Romans executed Jesus, why shouldn't they arrest his closest associates? Only John was there, along with the women. Matthew 27, verses 57 to 61. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away mary magdalene and the other mary were sitting opposite the tomb on on this friday the jews were preparing for the coming sabbath day saturday is the holy day of judaism called the sabbath And in Jewish tradition, that day starts on the Friday evening at sunset, which would be approximately 8 p.m. at this time of year. Jesus died at 3 p.m. And no one was allowed to conduct any burials or do any work of that type or any other type on the Sabbath. It was a day of complete rest, according to Jewish tradition and the law of Moses. So between 3 p.m. and about 8 p.m., Jesus needed to be buried if he was going to be buried at all. And then comes a significant man who walks into the story of Jesus' life here at this critical moment for the first time. And his name is Joseph of Arimathea. Luke 23, verse 50 to 52 Tells us a little bit more about Joseph of Arimathea. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for the body, then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Joseph came from a Judean town to the northwest of Jerusalem. But the significant thing about him was not only was he wealthy, but he was a devout Jew and he was very senior in Judaism. He was even a member of the ruling council, which is, The Sanhedrin. And we learn amazingly here that Joseph had been present the night before when Caiaphas, the high priest, had summoned the Sanhedrin to an informal and extraordinary meeting at his house. Joseph had been there and he had not consented to their decision and action. He did not agree That Jesus was a false messiah and a blasphemer. He did not agree to their decision to hand him over to Pilate. This is the first we hear of Joseph of Arimathea. So it appears that in the Sanhedrin, not everybody agreed. And we're going to find another person who didn't agree in just a moment. And it also turns out that he was a believer in Jesus. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. And he was a good and upright man. The implication of the Gospels, including John's Gospel in John 19, is that he was a secret disciple. And being a rich man, he planned for uh, his death, as rich Jews did then, they still do today, by preparing a tomb. So he went to Pilate. And Pilate was the only one who could give a decision about what to do with the bodies that were hanging up on crosses, those who had died under crucifixion. And and Pilate gave his consent that Joseph could take the body and bury it. It was of no concern to Pilate. As far as he was concerned, that issue was finished. But Joseph of, of Arimathea wasn't working alone. By looking at John's gospel, John 19, verse 39, we find that somebody else was working with him. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Now, Nicodemus is an interesting character. He's referred to twice earlier on in John's Gospel. He appears in John chapter 3, where Jesus was visiting Jerusalem right at the beginning of his ministry. And Nicodemus came to him secretly during the night time. And he questioned him in detail about his message and the kingdom of God. And Jesus explained to him what it was to be born again. And then he appears again in John chapter 7 when he challenges the religious leaders who are very critical of Jesus and want to condemn him. And he challenges them that uh, they're not giving him an opportunity. They're not looking at the evidence. They're not giving him an opportunity to defend himself. So it appears that both Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea are secret believers in Jesus and they're both members of the Sanhedrin so on that fateful meeting in the high priest's house not only was Joseph of Arimathea not agreeing to the decision in action but neither was Nicodemus so as soon as Jesus died these two men wanted to quickly do something for him out of the greatest respect for him staying in John 19 verses 39 39- to 42 nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds taking jesus's body the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen this was in accordance with jewish burial customs at the place where jesus was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Very hastily, these two men, probably accompanied by servants, because they were rich men, took the spices that were often used in burial, placed those with the body, wrapped the body in linen wrappings, and placed the body in this tomb, and placed a stone in front of the tomb. This is probably where they needed the help of servants because the stone would have been very heavy. And it appears that the site of this tomb was very close to the site of the cross. But Matthew 27 verse 61 makes it clear that at least two women noted the site of the tomb. They saw the place where Jesus was laid in the tomb and this becomes very significant when the women seek to come to the tomb very early on Easter Sunday morning they know where they're going because they've been there before and they've seen the place back to Matthew 27 to give you the final part of the story verses 62 to 66 This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. They wanted to guard the tomb to prevent the theft of the body by the disciples or anyone else and to prevent rumours that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Pilate was quite happy with this. Again, it was of no real significance to him because Jesus had now been executed, and as far as he was concerned, that was the end of the matter. Pilate tells the religious authorities from the Sanhedrin that they can go seal the tomb and post a guard there. Now, this guard were not Roman soldiers as is sometimes thought. They were temple guards who've been mentioned in the story. The Jewish religious leaders were allowed to guard the temple compound with armed guards. These are the guards who came to arrest Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. We've seen them already. And uh, Pilate uh, encourages them, if they want to protect the tomb, that that's the way they need to do it, by sending their own guards. And this explains the fact that on Easter Sunday, when uh, the tomb is empty and the stone is rolled away, the guards go and report to the Jewish religious leaders, not to the Roman authorities. It's because the Jewish religious leaders sent them in the first place. So Jesus is laid in the tomb on Friday evening, somewhere between 3 p.m. and 8 p.m., And on the Saturday or the Sabbath early, the Jewish authorities place a guard. They go and find the tomb, they find the stone, they seal it and they place armed guards there who are to keep guard for a number of days. As we come to the end of this episode and having described the story, we now need to just step back for a moment and think about the significance of this event in our understanding of Jesus as both the Son of God and uh, a man, a human being. He was fully God and fully man. The first thing we need to say is that Jesus was fully physically dead. There's absolutely no doubt that the Roman authorities uh, knew him to be dead. And John makes this point Clearly, in John 19, verses 33 to 35, when the Roman guards were looking at the bodies. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing out a sudden flow of blood and water. So the guards checked Jesus to see whether he was dead. Uh, They didn't need to break his legs, which they sometimes did to um, ensure that someone was dead by stretching the body further. Uh, But they pierced his side. Now, the divine person of Jesus, the son of God in his divine nature, he in his divine nature did not die at Calvary did not die at Golgotha on the cross. Jesus actually said to the criminal on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus in his divine being went to be with his father at the moment of his death. But Jesus in his humanity, in his physical body, was utterly physically dead just as any other dead person that has ever died. One of the ancient creed has, uh, has has a phrase, he descended into Hades. This phrase was added from the original creed to try and explain what happened at that point. Hades meaning death. Physically, Jesus entered into the state of physical death in a total and complete way, just like anyone else. If we'd seen his physical body and if a doctor had examined him just before he's placed in the tomb, there would have been no doubt at all that Jesus was dead. At the point of resurrection, the divine living Jesus is reunited to the human physical Jesus as Jesus takes on a resurrection body. So death, in that sense, is a separation between the divine Jesus and the human Jesus, a momentary separation, and they're reunited in the resurrection. People have sometimes speculated and wondered what happened between Jesus' death and his resurrection. Where did Jesus go? It appears he went to be with his father in paradise. That's what he explicitly says on the cross, and we take that as the primary evidence. His body was in the tomb, Some people have wondered whether during this particular time, Jesus went into hell and preached either to demonic spirits or to humans who had lived before him, preached the gospel to them to give them a chance of believing the gospel. And this theological idea has been quite widespread over the period of history. This is based on an interpretation of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. A closer examination of this text suggests that this is a description of what happens at the point of resurrection not in the period between death and resurrection. It starts with the expression, after being made alive, which is the most likely translation of that Greek phrase. After being made alive. So this isn't what happens at this particular time. But it appears that between his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus proclaimed his kingdom and his glory and his power in some mysterious way to uh, those who had died previously and to demonic powers this was a declaration of his glory it wasn't preaching for salvation and it didn't happen in this particular period of time in this period of time Jesus the divine son of God was with his father and Jesus son of man was dead in the tomb awaiting that glorious moment of resurrection So in conclusion, we can say categorically Jesus really died physically and spent two nights and parts of three days in the tomb. His disciples were in a state of disarray and desolation. And the women turned out to be key witnesses. They saw where the burial took place and they returned to that exact same place. On Easter Sunday morning, having obeyed the Sabbath, when they weren't allowed to travel around, at the earliest opportunity, they returned to the tomb to find something amazing had happened. We'll come back to that story when we start our final series, series 14, in the next episode. I hope you'll join us then. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.